0: Chapter Two Part Two of Animal Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Animal Ghosts by Elliot O'Donnell. Part Two Chapter Two Dog Scared by a Canine Ghost. A friend of mine, Edward Morgan, had a terrier that was found one morning poisoned in a big stone kennel. Soon afterwards this friend came to me and said I have got a new dog, a spaniel, but nothing will induce it to enter the kennel in which poor Zack was poisoned. Come and see. I did so, and what he said was true. Mac, Morgan gave all his dogs names that rhymed, Zack, Mac, Jack, Tack, and even whack and smack, when carried to the entrance of the kennel, resolutely refused to cross the threshold, barking, whining, and exhibiting unmistakable symptoms of fear. I knelt down, and peering into the kennel, saw two luminous eyes, and the distinct outlines of a dog's head. "'Morgan!' I exclaimed. "'The mystery is easily solved. There's a dog in here!' "'Nonsense!' "'Morgan cried, speaking very excitedly. "'But there is,' I retorted. "'See for yourself.' "'Morgan immediately bent down "'and poked his head into the kennel. "'What rot?' he said. "'You're having me on. "'There's nothing in here.' "'What?' I cried. "'Do you mean to say you can see no dog?' "'No,' he replied. "'There is none.' "'Let me look again,' I said.' and kneeling down i peeped in do you mean to say you can't see a dog's face and eyes looking straight at us i asked no he answered i can see nothing and to prove to me the truth of what he said he fetched a pole and raked about the kennel vigorously with it We both, then, tried to make Mac enter, and Morgan at last caught hold of him and placed him forcibly inside. Mac's terror knew no limit. He gave one loud howl, and flying out of the kennel with his ears hanging back, tore past into the front garden, where we left him in peace. Morgan was still skeptical as to there being anything wrong with the kennel, but two days later wrote me as follows. "'I must apologize for doubting you the other day. "'I have just had what you declared you saw corroborated. "'A friend of my wife's was calling here this afternoon "'and, on hearing of Mac's refusal to sleep in the kennel, "'at once said, "'I know what's the matter. "'It's the smell. "'Mac scents the poison which was used to destroy Zack. "'Have the kennel thoroughly fumigated "'and you'll have no more trouble.' "'At my wife's request,' She went into the yard to have a look at it, and the moment she bent down, she cried out like you did, "'Why, there's a dog inside! A terrier!' My wife and I both looked and could see nothing. The lady, however, persisted, and, on my handing her a stick, struck at the figure she saw. To her amazement, the stick went right through it. Then, and not till then, did we tell her of your experience.' well she exclaimed i have never believed in ghosts but i do so now i am quite certain that what i see is the phantom of zack how glad i am because i am at last assured animals have spirits and can come back to us in concluding the accounts of phantasms of dead dogs Let me quote two cases taken from my work entitled The Haunted Houses of London, published by Mr. Evely Nash of Fallside House, King Street, Covent Garden, London, in 1909. The cases are these. The Phantom Dotson of W. Street, London. In letter number one, my correspondent writes, though i am by no means over-indulgent to dogs the latter generally greet me very effusively and it would seem that there is something in my individuality that is peculiarly attractive to them this being so i was not greatly surprised one day when in the immediate neighbourhood of x street to find myself persistently followed by a rough-haired Dotson wearing a gaudy yellow collar i tried to scare it away by shaking my sunshade at it but all to no purpose it came resolutely on and i was beginning to despair of getting rid of it when i came to x street where my husband once practiced as an oculist there it suddenly altered its tactics and instead of keeping at my heels became my conductor forging slowly ahead with a gliding motion that both puzzled and fascinated me I furthermore observed that notwithstanding the temperature it was not a whit less than ninety degrees in the shade the legs and stomach of the Datsun were covered with mud and dripping with water. When it came to number ninety it halted and veering swiftly round eyed me in the strangest manner just as if it had some secret it was bursting to disclose. I remained in this attitude until I was within two or three feet of it certainly not more when to my unlimited amazement it absolutely vanished melted away into thin air the iron gate leading to the area was closed so that there was nowhere for it to have hidden and besides i was almost bending over it at the time as i wanted to read the name on its collar there being no one near at hand i could not obtain a second opinion and so came away wondering whether what i had seen was actually a phantasm or a mere hallucination number ninety i might add judging by the brass plate on the door was inhabited by a doctor with an unpronounceable foreign name etc etc i think one cannot help attaching a great deal of importance to what this lady says as her language is strictly moderate throughout and because she does not seem to have been biased by any special views on the subject of animal futurity correspondent number two who by the way is a total stranger to the writer whose letter i have just quoted is candidly devoted to dogs regarding them as in every way on par with if not actually superior to most human beings still notwithstanding this partiality and consequent profusion of terms of endearment which will doubtless prove somewhat nauseating to many her letter is in my opinion valuable because it not only refers to the phenomenon i have mentioned but to a certain extent furnishes a reason for its occurrence the lady writes as follows i once had a rough-haired Dotson, robert whom i loved devotedly We were living at the time near H Street, which always had a peculiar attraction for dear Robert, who, I am now obliged to confess, had rather too much liberty, more indeed than eventually proved good for him. The servants complained that Robert ruled the house, and I believe what they said was true, for my sister and I idolized him, giving him the very best of everything, and never having the heart to refuse him anything he wanted you will probably scarcely credit it, but I have sat up all night nursing him when he had a cold and was otherwise indisposed. Can you therefore imagine my feelings when my darling was absent one day from dinner? Such a thing had never happened before, for, fond of morning constitutionals as poor Robert was, he was always the soul of punctuality at mealtimes.' Neither my sister nor I would hear of eating anything. Whilst he was missing, not a morsel did we touch, but slipping on our hats and bidding the servants to do the same, we scoured the neighborhood instead. The afternoon passed without any sign of Robert, and when bedtime came, he always slept in our room, and still no signs of our pet, I thought we should both have gone mad. Of course, we advertised— "'selecting the most popular, and, accordingly, the most likely papers. "'And we resorted to other mediums, too. "'But, alas, it was hopeless. "'Our darling little Robert was irrevocably, irredeemably lost. "'For days we were utterly inconsolable, "'doing nothing but mope morning, noon, and night. "'I cannot tell you how forlorn we felt, "'nor how long we should have remained in that state.' but for an incident which although revealing the terrible manner of his death gave us every reason to feel sure we were not parted from him for all time but would meet again in the great hereafter it happened in this wise I was walking along W Street one evening, when, to my intense joy and surprise, I suddenly saw my darling standing on the pavement a few feet ahead of me, regarding me intently from out of his pathetic brown eyes. A sensation of extreme coldness now stole over me, and I noticed with something akin to shock that, in spite of the hot, dry weather, Robert looked as if he had been in the rain for hours. He wore the bright yellow collar I had bought him shortly before his disappearance, so that had there been any doubt as to his identity, that would have removed it instantly. On my calling to him, he turned quickly round, and with a slight gesture of the head, as if bidding me to follow, he glided forward. My natural impulse was to run after him, pick him up, and smother him with kisses, but try as hard as i could i could not diminish the distance between us although he never appeared to alter his pace i was quite out of breath by the time we reached h street where to my surprise he stopped at number ninety and turning round again gazed at me in the most beseeching manner i can't describe that look suffice it to say that no human eyes could have been more expressive but of what beyond the most profound love and sorrow, I cannot, I dare not attempt to state. I have pondered upon it through the whole of a midsummer night, but not even the severest of my mental efforts have enabled me to solve it to my satisfaction. Could I but do that, I feel I should have fathomed the greatest of all mysteries, the mystery of life and death. I do not know for how long we stood there looking at one another, it may have been minutes or hours or again but a few paltry seconds he took the initiative from me for as i leaped forward to raise him in my arms he glided through the stone steps into the area convinced now that what i beheld was robert's apparition i determined to see the strange affair through to the bitter end and entering the gate i also went down into the area the phantom had come to an abrupt halt by the side of a low wooden box and as i foolishly made an abortive attempt to reach it with my hand it vanished instantaneously i searched the area thoroughly and was assured that there was no outlet save by the steps i had just descended and no hole nor nook nor cranny where anything the size of robert could be completely hidden from sight what did it all mean ah i knew robert had always had a weakness for exploring areas especially in h street and in the box where his wraith disappeared i espied a piece of raw meat now there are ways in which a piece of raw meat may lie without arousing suspicion but the position of this morsel strangely suggested that it had been placed there carefully and for assuredly no other purpose than to entice stray animals Resolving to interrogate the owner of the house on the subject, I rapped at the front door, but was informed by the man-servant, obviously a German, that his master never saw anyone without an appointment. I then did a very unwise thing. I explained the purpose of my visit to this man, who not only denied any knowledge of my dog, but declared the meat must have been thrown into the area by some passer-by no one in this house throw away good meat like that he explained we eat all we can get here we have nothing for the animals please go away at once or de master will be very angry he stand no nonsense from any one and as i had no alternative for after all who would regard a ghost in the light of evidence i had to obey i found out however from a medical friend that number 90 was tenanted by Mr. K, an Anglo-German who was deemed a very clever fellow at a certain London hospital where he was often occupied in vivisection. I dare say, my friend went on to remark, K does a little vivisecting in his private surgery by way of practice, and, well, you see, these foreign chaps are not so squeamish in some respects as we are. "'But can't he be stopped?' I asked. "'It is horrible, monstrous that he should be allowed to murder our pets.' "'You don't know for certain that he has,' was the reply. "'You only suppose so from what you saw, "'and evidence of that immaterial nature is no evidence at all. "'No, you can do nothing except be extra careful in the future, "'and if you have another dog, make him steer clear of number 90 H Street.' I was sensible enough to see that he was right, and the matter was dropped. I soon noticed one thing, however, namely that there were no more pieces of meat temptingly displayed in the box, so it is just possible Kay got wind of my inquiries and thought it policy to desist from his nefarious practices. Poor Robert, to think of him suffering such a cruel and ignominious death, and my being powerless to avenge it. Surely, if vivisection is really necessary, and the welfare of mankind cannot be advanced by any less barbarous system, why not operate on creatures less deserving of our love and pity than dogs? On creatures which, whilst being nearer allied to man in physiology and anatomy, are at the same time far below the level of brute creation in character and disposition. For example, why not experiment on wife-beaters and cowardly street ruffians and one might reasonably add on all those pseudo-humanitarians who by their constant petitions to parliament for the abolition of the lash encourage every form of blackguardism and bestiality this concludes the letter of correspondent number two and with the sentiment in the closing paragraphs i must say i heartily agree only i should like to add a few more people to the list one other case of haunting of this type is taken from my same work one all halloween wrote a mrs Sebium, i was staying with some friends in hampstead and we amused ourselves by working spells to commemorate the night there is one spell in which one walks alone down a path sowing hemp seed and repeating some fantastic words, when one is supposed to see those that are destined to come into one's life in the near future. Eager to put this spell to the test, I went into the garden by myself, and walking boldly along a path, bordered on each side by evergreens, sprinkled hemp seed lavishly. Nothing happening, I was about to desist, when suddenly I heard a pattering on the gravel, and turning round, I beheld an ugly, little, black-and-tan mongrel running towards me, wagging its stumpy tail. Not at all prepossessed with the creature, for my own dogs are purebred, and thinking it must have strayed into the grounds, I was about to drive it out, and had put down my hand to prevent it jumping on my dress, when, to my astonishment, it had vanished. It literally melted away into fine air beneath my very eyes, not knowing what to make of the incident but feeling inclined to attribute it to a trick of the imagination i rejoined my friends i did not tell them what had happened although i made a memorandum of it in one of my innumerable notebooks within six months of this incident i was greatly astonished to find a dog corresponding with the one i have just described running about on the lawn of my house in bath how the animal got there was a complete mystery and what is stranger still it seemed to recognize me for it rushed towards me frantically wagging its diminutive tail i had not the heart to turn it away as it seemed quite homeless and so the forlorn little mongrel was permitted to make its home in my house and a very happy home it proved to be for three years all went well and then the end came swiftly and unexpectedly I was in Blackheath at the time, and the mongrel was in Bath. It was all Halloween, but there was no hemp seed for sowing, for no one in the house but myself took the slightest interest in anything appertaining to the superphysical or mystic. Eleven o'clock came, and I retired to rest, my bed being one of those antique four posters hung with curtains that shine crimson in the ruddy glow of a cheerful fire. All my preparations complete i had pulled back the hangings and was about to slip between the sheets when to my unbounded amazement what should i see sitting on the counterpane but the black and tan mongrel it was he right enough there could not be another such ugly dog though unlike his usual self he evinced no demonstrations of joy on the contrary he appeared downright miserable his ears hung, his mouth dropped, and his bleared little eyes were watery and sad. Greatly perplexed, if not alarmed, at so extraordinary a phenomenon, I nevertheless felt constrained to put out my hand to comfort him, when, as I had half anticipated, he immediately vanished. Two days later I received a letter from Bath, and in a postscript I read that the mongrel, we never called it by any other name had been run over and killed by a motor the accident occurring on all halloween about eleven o'clock of course my sister wrote you won't mind very much it was so extremely ugly and well we were only too glad it was none of the other dogs but my sister was wrong for notwithstanding its unsightly appearance and hopeless lack of breed I had grown to like that little black and tan more than any of my rare and choice pets. The following account, which concludes my notes on haunting by dog phantasms, was sent to me many years ago by a gentleman then living in Virginia, USA. It runs thus, The Strange Disappearance of Mr. Jeremiah Dance. 20 pounds a year for a 12-roomed house with a large front lawn, good stabling, and big kitchen gardens. That sounds right, I commented, but why so cheap? Well, the advertiser, Mr. Baldwin by name, a short, stout gentleman with keen, glittering eyes, replied, well, you see, it's a bit of a distance from the town and, er, most people prefer being nearer, like neighbors and all that sort of thing. "'Like neighbors?' I exclaimed. "'I don't. I've seen just about enough of them.' "'Drains all right?' "'Oh, yes, perfect. "'Water? Excellent. "'Everything in good condition? First rate. "'Loneliness is the only thing people object to? "'That is so. "'Then I'll oblige you to send someone to show me over the house, "'for I think it is just the sort of place we want.' "'You see, after being bottled up in a theater all the afternoon and evening, "'one likes to get away somewhere where it is quiet. "'Somewhere where one can lie in bed in the morning, "'inhaling pure air and undisturbed by street traffic.' "'I understand,' Mr. Baldwin responded. "'But, er, it is rather late now. "'Wouldn't you prefer to see it over in the morning? "'Everything looks at its worst. "'It's very worse than the twilight.' "'Oh,' i'll make allowances for the dusk i said you haven't got any ghosts stowed away there have you and he went off into a roar of laughter no the house is not haunted mr baldwin replied not that it would much matter to you if it were for i can see you don't believe in spooks believe in spooks i cried not much i would as soon believe in patent hair restorers let me see over it at once.' "'Very well, sir. I'll take you there myself,' Mr. Baldwin replied, somewhat reluctantly. "'Here, Tim, fetch the keys at the crow's nest, and tell Higgins to bring the trap round.' The boy he addressed flew, and in a few minutes the sound of wheels and the jingling of harnesses announced the vehicle was at the door. Ten minutes later,' and I and my escort were bowling merrily over the ground in the direction of the crow's nest. It was early autumn, and the cool evening air, fragrant with the mellowness of the luscious Virginian pippin, was tinged also with the sadness, inseparable from the demise of a long and glorious summer. Evidences of decay and death were everywhere, in the brown-fallen leaves of the oaks and elms, in the bare and denuded ditches, here, a giant mill-wheel, half immersed in a dark steel pool, stood idle and silent. There a hovel, but recently inhabited by hop-pickers, was now tenantless, its glassless windows boarded over, and a wealth of dead and rotting vegetable matter, in thick profusion, over the tiny path and the single stone doorstep. "'Is it always as quiet and deserted as this?' I asked of my companion, who continually cracked his whip, as if he liked to hear the reverberations of its echoes. "'Always,' was the reply, and sometimes more so. "'You ain't used to the country?' "'Not very. I want to try it by way of a change. Are you well versed in the cry of birds? What was that?' We were fast approaching an exceedingly gloomy bit of road, where there were plantations on each side and the trees united their fantastically forked branches overhead i thought i had never seen so dismal-looking a spot and a sudden lowering of the temperature made me draw my overcoat tighter around me that oh a night bird of some sort mr baldwin replied an ugly sound wasn't it beastly things i can't imagine why they were created whoa steady there steady the horse reared as he spoke and taking a violent plunge forward set off at a wild gallop a moment later and i uttered an exclamation of astonishment keeping pace with us although apparently not moving at more than an ordinary walking pace was a man of medium height dressed in a panama hat and albert coat he had a thin aquiline nose a rather pronounced chin was clean-shaven, and had a startlingly white complexion. By the side of him trotted two poodles, whose close-cropped skins showed out with remarkable perspicuity. "'Who the deuce is he?' I asked, raising my voice, to shout on account of the loud clatter made by the horse's hoofs and the wheels. "'Who? What?' Mr. Baldwin shouted in return. "'Why, the man walking along with us. "'Man, I see no man,' Mr. Baldwin growled. "'I looked at him curiously. "'It may, of course, have been due to the terrific speed we were going, "'to the difficulty of holding in the horse, "'but his cheeks were ashy pale and his teeth chattered. "'Do you mean to say,' I cried, "'that you can see no figure walking on my side of the horse "'and actually keeping pace with it?' "'Of course I can't,' Mr. Baldwin snapped, "'No more can you. "'It's an hallucination caused by the moonlight through the branches overhead. "'I've experienced it more than once.' "'Then why don't you have it now?' I queried. "'Don't ask so many questions, please,' Mr. Baldwin shouted. "'Don't you see it as much as I can do to hold the brute in? "'Heaven preserve us. We were nearly over that time.' The trap rose high in the air as he spoke and then dropped with such a jolt that I was nearly thrown off, and only saved myself by the skin of my teeth. A few yards more, the spinny ceased, and we were away out in the open country, plunging and galloping as if our very souls depended on it. From all sides, queer and fantastic shadows of objects, which certainly had no material counterparts in the moon-kissed sward of the rich ripe right meadows, rose to greet us, and filled the lane with their black and white wavering ethereal forms the evening was one of wonders for which i had no name wonders associated with an iciness that was far from agreeable i was not at all sure which i liked best the black stygian tree-lined part of the road we had just left or the wide ocean of brilliant moonbeams and streaked suggestions the figures of the man and the dogs were equally vivid in each though I could no longer doubt that they were nothing mortal, they were altogether unlike what I had imagined ghosts. Like the generality of people who are psychic, and who have never had an experience of the superphysical. my conception of a phantasm was a thing in white that made ridiculous groanings and still more ridiculous clankings of chains. But here was something different, something that looked, save, perhaps for the excessive pallor of its cheeks, just like an ordinary man." i knew it was not a man partly on account of its extraordinary performance no man even if running at full speed could keep up with us like that partly on account of the unusual nature of the atmosphere which was altogether indefinable it brought with it and also because of my own sensations my intense horror which could not i felt certain have been generated by anything physical I cogitated all this in my mind as I gazed at the figure, and in order to make sure it was no hallucination, I shut first one eye and then the other, covering them alternately with the palm of my hand. The figure, however, was still there, still pacing along at our side with the regular swing, swing of the born walker. We kept on in this fashion till we arrived at a rusty iron gate leading by means of a weed-covered path, "'to a low, two-storied white house. "'Here the figures left us, "'and, as it seemed to me, "'vanished at the foot of the garden wall. "'This is the house,' Mr. Baldwin panted, "'pulling up with the greatest difficulty, "'the horse evincing obvious antipathy to the iron gate. "'And these are the keys. "'I'm afraid you must go in alone, "'as I dare not leave the animal, even for a minute.' "'Oh, all right,' I said, i don't mind now that the ghost or whatever you like to call it has gone i'm myself again i jumped down and threading my way along the bramble entangled path reached the front door on opening it i hesitated the big old-fashioned hall with the great frowning staircase leading to the gallery overhead the many open doors showing naught but bare deserted boards within The grim passages, all moonlight and peopled only with queer flickering shadows, suggested much that was terrifying. I fancied I heard noises, noises like stealthy footsteps moving from room to room and tiptoeing along the passages and down the staircase. Once, my heart almost stopped beating as I saw what, at first, I took to be a white face peering at me from a far recess but which i eventually discovered was only a daub of whitewash and once again my hair all but rose on end when one of the doors at which i was looking swung open and something came forth oh the horror of that moment as long as i live i shall never forget it the something was a cat just a rather lean but otherwise material black tom yet in the state my nerves were then It created almost as much horror as if it had been a ghost. Of course, it was the figure of the walking man that was the cause of all this nervousness. Had it not appeared to me, I should doubtless have entered the house with the utmost sang-froid, my mind set on nothing but the condition of the walls, drains, etc. As it was, I held back, and it was only after a severe mental struggle I summoned up the courage to leave the doorway and explore cautiously very cautiously with my heart in my mouth i moved from room to room halting every now and then in dreadful suspense as the wind soughing through across the open land behind the house blew down the chimneys and set the window frames jarring at the commencement of one of the passages i was immeasurably startled to see a dark shape poke forward and then spring hurriedly back and was so frightened that i dared not advance to see what it was moment after moment sped by, and I still stood there, the cold sweat oozing out all over me, and my eyes fixed in hideous expectation on the blank wall. What was it? What was hiding there? Would it spring out on me if I went to see? At last, urged on by a fascination I found impossible to resist, I crept down the passage, my heart throbbing painfully, and my whole being overcome with the most Thickly anticipations as i drew nearer to the spot it was as much as i could do to breathe and my respiration came in quick jerks and gasps six five four two feet and i was at the dreaded angle another step taken after the most prodigious battle and nothing sprang out on me "'I was only confronted with a large piece of paper "'that had come loose from the wall "'and flapped backwards and forwards "'each time the breeze from without rustled past it. "'The reaction after such an agony of suspense "'was so great that I leaned against the wall "'and laughed till I cried. "'A noise from somewhere away in the basement "'calling me to myself. "'I went downstairs and investigated. "'Again a shock, this time more sudden, more acute.' pressed against the window pane of one of the front reception rooms was the face of a man with corpse-like cheeks and pale malevolent eyes i was petrified every drop of my blood was congealed my tongue glued to my mouth my arms hung helpless i stood in the doorway and stared at it this went on for what seemed to me an eternity then came a revelation the face was not that of a ghost but of mr baldwin who getting alarmed at my long absence had come to look for me we left the premises together all the way back to town I thought should I or should I not take the house seen as I had seen it it was a ghoulish looking place as weird as a Paris catacomb but then daylight makes all the difference viewed in the sunshine it would be just like any other house plain bricks and mortar I liked the situation it was just far enough away from a town to enable me to escape all the smoke and traffic and near enough to make shopping easy. The only obstacles were the shadows, the strange, enigmatical shadows I had seen in the hall and the passages and the figure of the walker. Dare I take a house that I knew had such visitors? At first I said no and then yes. Something I could not tell what urged me to say yes. I felt that a very grave issue was at stake, that a great wrong connected in some manner with the mysterious figure awaited writing, and that the hand of fate pointed at me as the one and only person who could do it. "'Are you sure the house isn't haunted?' I demanded as we slowly rolled away from the iron gate, and I leaned back in my seat to light my pipe. "'Haunted,' Mr. Baldwin scoffed. "'Why, I thought you didn't believe in ghosts.' Laughed at them. No more I do believe in them, I retorted, but I have children and we know how imaginative children are. I can't undertake to stop their imaginations. No, but you can tell me whether anyone else has imagined anything there. Imagination is sometimes very infectious. As far as I know, then no, leastways I have not heard of it. Who was the last tenant? mr jeremiah dance why did he leave how do i know got tired of being there i suppose how long was he there nearly three years where is he now that's more than i can say why do you wish to know why i repeated because it is more satisfactory for me to hear about the house from someone who has lived in it has he left no address not that i know of and it's been more than two years since he was here what that house has been empty all that time two years is not very long houses even townhouses are frequently unoccupied for longer than that i think you'll like it i did not speak again until the drive was over and we drew up outside the landlord's house i then said let me have an agreement i've made up my mind to take it three years and the option to stay on That was just like me whatever i did i did on the spur of the moment a mode of procedure that often led me into difficulties a month later my wife children and servants and i were all ensconced in the crow's nest that was in the beginning of october well the month passed by and november was fairly in before anything remarkable happened it then came about in this fashion jenny my eldest child a self-willed and rather bad-tempered girl of about twelve evading the vigilance of her mother who had forbidden her to go out as she had a cold ran to the gate one evening to see if i was anywhere in sight though barely five o'clock the moon was high in the sky and the shadows of the big trees had already commenced their gambols along the roadside jenny clambered up the gate as children do and peering over suddenly espied what she took to be me striding towards the house at a swinging pace and followed by two poodles papa she cried how cute of you only to think of bringing home two doggies oh papa naughty papa what will mom say and climbing over into the lane at imminent danger to life and limb she tore frantically towards the figure To her dismay, however, it was not me, but a stranger with a horribly white face and big glassy eyes, which he turned down at her and stared. She was so frightened that she fainted, and some ten minutes later I found her lying out there on the road. From the description she gave me of the man and the dogs, I felt quite certain they were the figures I had seen, though I pretended the man was a tramp, and assured her she would never see him again. A week passed, and I was beginning to hope nothing would happen when one of the servants gave her notice to leave. At first she would not say why she did not like the house, but when pressed, made the following statement. It's haunted, Mrs. B. I can put up with mice and beetles, but not with ghosts. I've had a queer sensation, as if water was falling down my spine ever since I've been here, but never saw anything till last night. I was then in the kitchen, getting ready to go to bed. Jane and Emma had already gone up, and I was preparing to follow them, when, all of a sudden, I heard footsteps, quick and heavy, cross the gravel and approach the window. The boss, says I to myself, maybe he's forgot the key and can't get in the front door. Well, I went to the window and was about to throw it open when I got an awful shock pressed against the glass looking in at me was a face not the boss's face not the face of anyone living but a horrid white thing with a drooping mouth and a wide open glassy eyes that had no more expression in them than a pig as sure as i'm standing here Missy, it was the face of a corpse the face of a man that had died no natural death And by its side, standing on their hind legs and staring in at me, too, were two dogs, both poodles, also no living things, but dead, horribly dead. Well, they stared at me, all three of them, for perhaps a minute, certainly not less, and then vanished. That's why I'm leaving, Miss B. My heart was never over strong. I always suffered with palpitations, and if I saw those heads again, it would kill me. After this, my wife spoke to me seriously. Jack, she said, are you sure there's nothing in it? I don't think Mary would leave us without a good cause, and the description of what she saw tallies exactly with the figure that frightened Jenny. Jenny assures me she never said a word about it to the servants. They can't both have imagined it. I did not know what to say. My conscience pricked me. Without a doubt, I ought to have told my wife of my own experience in the lane and have consulted her before taking the house. Supposing she, or any of the children, should die of fright, it would be my fault. I should never forgive myself. You've something on your mind. What is it? My wife demanded. I hesitated a moment or two and then told her. The next quarter of an hour was one I do not care to recollect, but when it was over and she had had her say it was decided i should make inquiries to see if there was any possible way of getting rid of the ghosts with this end in view i drove to the town and after several fruitless efforts was at length introduced to a mr Mardston, clerk of one of the banks who in reply to my questions said well mr b it's just this way i do know of something only in a small place like this one has to be so extra careful what one says some years ago a mr jeremiah dance occupied the crow's nest he came here apparently a total stranger and though often in the town was only seen in the company of one person his landlord mr baldwin with whom if local gossip is to be relied on he appeared to be on terms of the greatest familiarity indeed they were seldom apart walked about the lanes arm-in-arm visited each other's houses on alternate evenings called each other teddy and leslie this state of things continued for nearly three years and then the people suddenly began to comment on the fact that mr dance had gone or at least was no longer visible an errand-boy returning back to town late one evening swore to being passed on the way by a trap containing mr baldwin and mr dance who were speaking in very loud voices just as if they were having a violent altercation on reaching that part of the road where the trees are the thickest overhead the lad overtook them or rather mr baldwin preparing to mount into the trap mr dance was nowhere to be seen and from that day to this nothing has ever been heard of him as none of his friends or relations came forward to raise inquiries and all his bills were paid several of them by mr baldwin no one took the matter up mr baldwin pooh-poohed the errand boy story and declared that on the night in question he had been alone in an altogether different part of the country and knew nothing whatever of mr dance's movements further than that he had recently announced his intention of leaving the crow's nest before the expiration of the three years lease he had not the remotest idea where he was he claimed the furniture and payment of the rent due to him "'Did the matter end there?' I asked. "'In one sense of the word, yes. "'In another, no. "'Within a few weeks of Dance's disappearance, "'rumors got afloat that his ghost had been seen on the road, "'just where, you may say, you saw it. "'As a matter of fact, I have seen it myself, "'and so have crowds of other people. "'Has anyone ever spoken to it?' "'Yes, and it has vanished at once. "'I went there one night with the purpose of laying it, "'but, on its appearing suddenly, "'I confess I was so startled "'that I not only forgot what I had rehearsed to say, "'but ran home without uttering as much as a word. "'And what are your deductions of the case?' "'Same as everyone else's,' Mr. Marston whispered. "'Only like everyone else, I dare not say.' "'Had Mr. Dance any dogs?' "'Yes, two poodles, of which, much to Mr. Baldwin's annoyance,' "'Everyone noticed this. "'He used to make the most ridiculous fuss. Humph! I observed. "'That settles it. "'Ghosts! "'And to think I never believed in them before. "'Well, I am going to try.' "'Try what?' Mr. Marston said, "'a note of alarm in his voice. "'Try laying it. "'I have an idea. "'I may succeed.' "'I wish you luck, then. "'May I come with you?' "'Thanks. "'No,' I rejoined. "'I would rather go there alone.' i said this in a well-lighted room with the hum of a crowded thoroughfare in my ears twenty minutes later when i had left all that behind and was fast approaching the darkest part of an exceptionally dark road i wished i had not at the very spot where i had previously seen the figures i saw them now they suddenly appeared by my side and though i was going at a great rate for the horse took fright they kept easy pace with me twice i essayed to speak to them but could not ejaculate a syllable through sheer horror and it was only by nerving myself to the utmost and forcing my eyes away from them that i was able to stick to my seat and hold on to the reins on and on we dashed until trees road sky universe were obliterated in one binding whirlwind that got up my nostrils choked my ears and deadened me to everything save the all terrorizing instinctive knowledge that the figures by my side were still there stalking along as quietly and leisurely as if the horse had been going at a snail's pace at last to my intense relief for never had the ride seemed longer i reached the crow's nest and as i hurriedly dismounted from the trap the figures shot past me and vanished once inside the house and in the bosom of my family, where all was light and laughter, courage returned, and I upbraided myself bitterly for this cowardice. I confessed to my wife, and she insisted on accompanying me the following afternoon, at twilight, to the spot where the ghost appeared to originate. To our intense dismay, we had not been there more than three or four minutes before Dora, our youngest girl, a pretty, sweet-tempered child of eight, came running up to us with a telegram, which one of the servants had asked her to give us. My wife, snatching it from her and reading it, was about to scold her severely when she suddenly paused, and clutching hold of the child with one hand, pointed hysterically at something on one side of her with the other. I looked, and Dora looked, and we both saw, standing erect and staring at us, the spare figure of a man with a ghastly white face, and dull lifeless eyes clad in a panama hat albert coat and small patent leather boots beside him were two glossy abnormally glossy poodles i tried to speak but as before was too frightened to articulate a sound and my wife was in the same plight with dora however it was otherwise and she electrified us by going up to the figure and exclaiming "'Who are you? You must feel very ill to look so white. Tell me your name.' The figure made no reply, but gliding slowly forward, moved up to a large, isolated oak, and pointing with the index finger of its left hand at the trunk of the tree, seemingly sank into the earth and vanished from view. For some seconds, everyone was silent, and then my wife exclaimed, "'Jack!' I shouldn't wonder if Dora hasn't been the means of solving the mystery. Examine the tree closely. I did so. The tree was hollow, and inside it were three skeletons. End of part two of chapter two of Animal Ghosts.